Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Captain Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Amphis Wapsit, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening, we will be discussing, will UKIP win a seat at the next general election? What should be the UK's general election voting system? And lastly, do you wish you did more for charity? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you guys send in your opinions on the question what invention do you want to see in the next 10 years and we've had of course as ever a real array of different uh, inventions you guys want to see uh, but the first is coming from matt and matt said short answer anti-gravity uh, and if any <laughs> other listeners are sitting there thinking, i don't know what it is good job matt does explain a little bit uh, so i've actually done some research into this he says because it's something i'm really interested in and anti-gravity is, possi- is possible to create on Earth. We know that because that's how they train astronauts. But a discovery that I've made that I think would really help the planet is that if we could control anti-gravity more eff- effectively, then we could eliminate the need to use fuel in transport because we would be able to control the speed, direction and actions of the cars by controlling the strength and effect of the gravity. So that could have a huge impact on our planet as a whole because it would eliminate a huge need for oil. Anyway, that's very complicated. So failing that, actually actually good Wi-Fi on trains, not the rubbish <laughs> stuff. 
we have now. <laughs> George, what do you make of obviously the, the first suggestion, anti-gravity? I mean, it, it really sounds like we're getting into some really futuristic stuff on, on, on this show now. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting um, idea to have. And if I'm honest with you, when uh, I was thinking of what future inventions there may be, anti-gravity was was not one of the ones that I had um, on the cards. But it's it's a great answer to have. And, and it's great to see, Matt, that you've, you've done a bit of research in this to see actually not just what it would be like, but whether or not it would be a benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, a benefit for the, the whole world. And I think if we can look at different sources of power that won't um, affect the planet in terms of our global footprint, sorry, our carbon footprint, then um, I think it's a really positive thing. And, and if, of course, it's affordable to do, then I don't see any reason why there couldn't be ways forward for anti-gravity to, to move cars and everything like that. I mean, obviously, as Matt has said, there is um, definitely uh anti-gravity already being kind of produced as it were on this planet because that is how they do train astronauts and there is that plane that goes up through the sky and it's a certain way how it how it flies um it kind of dips down and as such as it dips it creates a anti-force of to push people up instead of holding people down in the plane um and things like that are really really fascinating but i i do think that kind of forces that we already have at play like gravity are definitely maybe a way forward of trying to sort out our carbon footprint and getting rid of things like coal and everything and failing that as as matt said i i couldn't agree more i think actually proper good wi-fi on trains would be fantastic and if we can't get good wi-fi on trains then i hold no hope for anti-gravity in the future how about you callum yeah yeah if we certainly can't sort out, sort that out then i can't say we can sort now anti-gravity um, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really fascinating response, actually. As you say, George, it's not something I ever would have thought of, to be honest. But um, it's really interesting to think about how that could be potentially applied, um, as Matt says, to, to um, reducing our carbon footprint, really. And, and it would probably be one of the last ways you would have thought that we could um, possibly tackle the fact that um, we're overly reliant on fossil fuels. But possibly, quite possibly, we could harness anti-gravity, then, then maybe that is a way we could um, work to, to overcome our reliance upon that. Um, it would be very interesting to see whether or not it is possible. Um, I mean, me and George always make a habit of saying we're not really scientists and we, we don't really know a hell of a lot <laughs> about this kind of stuff. So I'm not going to say it's impossible. It sounds to me like it might well be a bit longer than 10 years away. But we'll see. We, we can definitely dream. I, th I think if, if anything this show teaches us, it's that we can dream sometimes. We absolutely can. And there's nothing wrong with having ambitious ideas. Um, right. So our next opinion is from Joseph. And they say, I was thinking about this the other day because I was talking to my friend about the crisis in Yemen, which has been trending on social media and how to solve famine. We did some research. And in March of this year, UNICEF said that two million children under the age of five in Yemen are suffering from malnutrition and need treatment. So there should be a food that you can eat once a day that will keep you nourished and satisfied for 24 hours. I know that there are some solutions to this already. There's one we learned about in geography called Plumpy Nut, but it's not really for young kids. And it's also and it 
also it's a private uh, product. So a private company sets the prices. There should be one that isn't privately owned, but that an organization like UNICEF owns is for all the family and actually satisfies hunger, not just gives you nutrition. Because nutrition isn't enough, you should always also actually feel full, if that makes sense. Well, Callum, it's a very thing, massive thing to try and solve. And is that the way to go around it? Yeah, I mean, it probably um, logically it would it would make a lot of sense if they can find some kind of um, easily reproducible um, substance, basically, that provides, as uh, Joseph says, all of the nutrients that, that you need um, in a given day. Um, again, this is not really my area of expertise, to be honest. I, I, I had I only heard of of plumpy nut, which is a, a quite an amusing sounding name in a in a way. Um, but I, I've only heard of that today, to to be quite honest with you. But I mean, on a broader scale, I think Joseph's point about the fact that you know we need to find solutions for, for hunger and for famines and and things like that. I mean, that's absolutely something that. Um, we we need to be seeing in, in the, the next um, kind of 10 years. Um, and I think that probably Joseph is bang on the money in that this is one of the ways that scientists and and other kind of professionals are going to be looking to, to solve what is a really, really massive issue. Um, what do you think, George? Yeah, I, I think it's always it is always interesting when we get all these um, opinions in because I, they always never fail to um, widen my my mindset and widen the way I, I think because again when I when I think about future um, inventions I don't really think about those kind of things that could help um, things like famine and hunger and and situations like that and I think Joseph is onto something really really important. I do think that we do have to be very careful in in the way we do solve um, famine and hunger and I think if there was something in place that could solve it then I, I fear that others could get hold of it and and it could be used as you know like a diet scheme in in a in a first world country or something like that and I think there really does have to be very careful things about that and there is always the argument to say if you solve famine then there will just be something else that comes around to that to cause havoc for um, the human race but even still we are in a very big advantage as a as a world that we have some of the world's obviously cleverest people within it and we have to use technology and advancements in science to our advantage um to try and help solve things like this and absolutely if if we can try and at least not maybe eradicate it but really reduce the numbers of those that are suffering um, hunger and, and going through famine, then I think it's absolutely one of those things we should definitely be investing in and ensuring that we can uh, get out there in production. Right. And so the, the last opinion is coming in and it's very much probably more along the lines of what you might expect from the inventions, uh, although there is a slight twist to it. But it's from Jade and Jade says, I'm obsessed with history. So maybe my answer is a bit basic, but I would invent a time traveling camera. A camera that could go back hundreds of years somehow and take pictures of exactly what we need. For example, it could bring back images that were never taken from key historical events, whether it's the Holocaust or slavery 
or even further back to the last ice age and see the impact of global warming the last time it happened so, so that we can learn from that today. I know it feels a bit far off, but who knows? The idea of the camera itself is quite incredible. Being able to freeze a moment on, on time digitally, so just adding time traveling to that doesn't sound too far off. George, do you, do you think it doesn't sound too far off? Um, I, I, I completely <laughs> uh, respect, Jade, that the uh, the idea of, idea of capturing a, an image digitally um, is is very very advanced in technology. But I think it's quite easy to obviously capture something at the present and being able to then transfer that in, into a digital format. I think it's a very different thing to be able to send a camera back in time or have a I don't know, have something within the camera that, that allows you to transform what you're looking at back in time so then you can see what it was like 50 years ago, but you're still there in the present. I don't know. I, I, I personally think that it would be a very hard thing to come about. I mean, you know, there is that argument to say whether time travel already exists. We just don't know about it. It's just not we, we haven't been told. And there are those traveling through time at the moment. I mean, who knows? Have you watched Doctor Who? Um, so I I think it's a fantastic idea, and if something like that did come about, it would be amazing. I would love to be able to see certain things um, 50 years ago and beyond. Uh, it would be absolutely fascinating to see, you know, even what your house looked like 100 years ago to, to see who was there and everything like that. It would be incredible. But for me, I think it is a little bit far off, um, especially in the next 10 years. How about you, Callum? Yeah, I think this is one of those weeks. It's, it's in a sense of being the most shocking week in that in terms of this this segment and showing that i wouldn't have probably guessed anyone would have picked any of these three that we're talking yeah. about here in terms of inventions uh, i mean this is probably as as i just said it's it's arguably the closest but a time traveling then camera is something very very different um i think again as you say george i mean it's a really really interesting um <laughs> idea as such and, and it would have untold benefits wouldn't it really to be to be able to see these things in i mean and jade mentions the kind of impact it could have on on studying the environment and studying global warming and things like that um but but there's also kind of from a obviously i, I studied history um in my undergraduate degree um and, and obviously there's there's massive um implications for history as well and also for things like anthropology as well and sociology, but even yeah. um, so, so it would be amazing. But it's probably, and I think Jade's well aware of this. It's, it's probably um, a little ways off next to probably. I would imagine it sounds to me slightly impossible without having invented physical time travel, where we can physically go back, and and then I suppose. By that logic, does any camera, if it travels back in time with you, does that then become a time traveling camera? Um, if that oh. makes sense. Uh, but but we're probably um, <laughs> getting past the point really, <laughs> and we're getting into really really sci-fi discussions. And uh, I'm not sure that George has the brains for it, frankly. <laughs> Uh, right then, uh, remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. We've reached time for the first sunbreaker this evening, so we'll be back very soon.
Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, will UKIP win a seat at the next general election? So I know probably many of you are sitting there thinking, who are UKIP? Or I didn't even realise UKIP is still about. If we cast our mind back into 2015, when it was the general election, UKIP were polling pretty well. They were on around 15, 13 to 15%. They, they were the third largest party in terms of votes, um, but they were only able to get one MP into uh, the House of Commons. But if we now cast our minds back to the present day, UKIP have just elected a new leader, someone called Freddie Vatcher, and he has said it is time for UKIP to get back to business. And he has also said that UKIP is now the biggest political party to have a BAME leader. Now, that is all well and good. But do you think they could possibly actually have a standpoint within politics? Could they start to build that momentum again and ensure that they get away from that far right agenda that they very recently had? Or maybe that's where they would like to go down. Who knows? Is that far right agenda the agenda that will allow them to get MPs at the next general election? Well, Callum, do you think UKIP could be celebrating having their second ever MP in Parliament at the next general election? I've, <laughs> I very much doubt it, to be honest with you. I think the thing with UKIP is that they've kind of, in many ways, they've lost their their reason for being really uh, i mean ukip really was about um the, the european union and getting the uk to leave the european union and hence why they're you know the united kingdom independence party um and so on that basis you know what reason is there to vote for people uh, to vote for them for, for a lot of people um, and I think that's especially made worse by the fact that they've now been, in a sense, a lot of their voters that maybe voted for them when they performed strongly have now switched over to the the Brexit party, which I believe is soon to become the Reform Party, uh, and then also the Conservatives themselves. And, and so on that basis, I think it's a very crowded marketplace that, that UKIP um, are operating in. Um, and, and so I just can't see that there's there's any real rays of light that suggests they could um, make any real inroads. Um, although I, I think you know they they could well overtake the the Brexit Party or the Reform Party as the kind of party of the um, let's say far right. Um, it it seems unlikely to me that, that they're going to be able to galvanise enough voters in one place to win a seat at a general election. I don't think they'll go away completely now, UKIP, but I don't think they've, they've got the ability to poll as strongly as they used to and to, to hold the Conservatives to to account, really, and to ransom, really, in the way they did when Nigel Farage was leader and things like that. Um, what do you think, George? Well, I think it's um, it's 
it's going to be interesting to see what, where they uh, UKIP goes. Um, to be honest with you, as as Callum has rightly said, since Nigel Farage kind of left the party, it, it, UKIP kind of went downhill and moved to this position of being incredibly uh, far right, and they started getting involved in some with some very um, uh, dodgy people. I think is probably the, the the basic way to explain it. And because of that, uh, they kind of tarnished their name with a lot of people that used to vote for them and. and and also, let's not forget that UKIP did very well in the north of the country in 2015 and, and attracted a lot of Labour voters um, that were fed up with the, the, the way Labour were going. And they wanted to have a party that they felt actually spoke for the working class. And UKIP somehow achieved that. Um, and that is where a lot of their vote did come from as well. But essentially, it's, it's we've got to look at what the political platform will look like in when the general election is about. And again, Callum is very, very right in saying that... Nigel Farage's party, the Reform Party, will be probably their biggest challenger, and and it will be very hard to kick Nigel Farage off off that um, pedestal. It it seems that Nigel Farage has a way with people in 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 talking to people and being able to get them on board or even vote for his party or um, actually change their points of views. And it it needs someone like Nigel Farage to stand up for UKIP to to tra- change that party. Now, whether uh, Mr. Vacher can do that or not. I've got no idea. I mean, he's already given quite a few big speeches since being leader and he hasn't been leader for very long at all. Um, and it, it's it's it is strange to, to think that UKIP are actually still have a position within politics um, because I feel they are starting. They're, they're running out of steam. I don't really see they've got much of a purpose anymore. Now, obviously, we will talk about different voting systems in the next topic, but it is interesting to think about that if we did have a different voting system here, the 2015 general election would have been very different and UKIP would have been the third largest party in Parliament, um, which is quite a significant thing to have. And you could argue then, you know, what would the, this country have looked like with UKIP like that? Because I'm sure it would have had to have been a uh, coalition between UKIP and Conservatives. Um, so I suppose I'm going to throw that back to you, Callum. And if there was a different voting system, do you think you would be answering differently for this question? Um, possibly in that maybe it's less likely that Farage leaves UKIP if the voting system was better and it was kinder and they had more um, MPs already because of the fact the voting system would, would reflect how many votes they actually got. Um, but I think realistically, if we're still talking about under the under a, a proportional system um, and, and we're talking about um, UKIP still being UKIP as they are now, led by Freddie, Freddie Thatcher, um, and then Brexit Party led by Nigel Farage, I think it's far more likely that those more far right leaning voters will, will go towards um, Nigel Farage's party. Um, and so I, I still think they'd struggle to get a seat at, at a general election, to, to be honest and, with you. And what do you think that obviously, hopefully, um, Brexit, <coughs> excuse me, will will really and truly be, be coming to an end in terms of the, the campaigning around getting out and all of that. So what 
is there left for them to really stand on and and be a have an issue around and have policies around do you think it will just mainly be immigration yeah i think probably yeah the, the i word is going to be massively massively important um for for ukip and indeed the brexit party as well um i think it would be difficult especially if um as it seems is likely, if the Conservatives bring in a, a new immigration system, which is more akin to the Australian point-style immigration system, I think it's unlikely, at least for the next five or six years, whilst that new system is bedding in, that UKIP will make any real grounds in here uh, or any real gains in terms of getting up their vote share because of focusing on immigration. Um, I, I think, to be honest... They, they've just been outflanked, really, by, by the Conservatives. Both them, the, both parties have been. Um, and all the while, I think that Boris Johnson remains leader. That is, that is the fact of the matter. Uh, and all the while, it's very, very fresh that they're introducing this new kind of immigration system. I mean, what do you think, George? Do you, do you think that immigration is the only thing that they can kind of build their... Um, reason for being on? I I think it will be, yes. I, I I unfortunately do think that they will really try and challenge the government on immigration rules and e- even if we the government does bring in the, the, the uh, point system um, <clears throat> under even though it is a point system very much like Australia there's already been many a challenge um, against it and even Tory MPs themselves want to have amendments to um, the immigration bill to, to kind of change it in certain ways to make it a little bit more relaxed which I think is is right but at the same time because of that it will allow room for um, parties like UKIP and possibly the Brexit party which possibly will be the reform party um to to attack the government on immigration and everything and and that's where i think they can get their vote in in those working class cities um or towns where a lot of people that are working class feel as if um their jobs have been taken away from them and 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 arguments like that and i think that's where they will really be able to make some uh, room for them to stand in and possibly get elected i think as well that these parties like UKIP and and the Reform Party are the parties that have to really push on the people that don't normally vote or those that are swing voters Um, and they've got to give them a reason to get out and vote and quite often one topic issues like immigration are those issues that people will come out and vote on Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens but Callum how do you think this poll is going to go? Uh, I think most people will say no, they're not going to win um, a seat in the next election. I'd probably say that the no vote will be 75%. What about you? I'm going to say 85%. Um, but as always, there is all, only one way to find out, and that is for you guys to vote away on this question. Will UKIP win a seat at the next general election? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this.
Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, will UKIP win a seat at the next general election? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we're asking what should be the UK's general election voting system. So as we just discussed in the last topic, there has long, long been a debate about how different parties' favourability and fortunes would have differed if the UK had arguably a more forgiving voting system to smaller parties. At the moment, the current system means that uh, Labour and Conservatives have gone virtually unrivaled as the two main parties of government um, for uh, over a hundred years. Um, but could that change? Should that change? Uh, we want you guys to decide. Um, so we've got a few different voting systems um, to look through. So the first one is to keep it the same, so to have first past the post, um, which is effectively where voters cast their vote for a candidate of their choice. And the candidate who receives the most votes wins, even if they receive less than half of the votes. Then there's the additional member system, which is what they use um, in Scotland, um, which is a mixed electoral system with one tier of single member district representatives. And then another tier of additional members elected to make the overall election results more proportioned. Then there's the single transferable vote which is a proportional voting system which is designed to achieve or closely approach proportional representation, um, where voters rank their candidates in multi-seat organisations or constituencies, and then they're allocated um, according to the proportion of votes that they received. Uh, And then the final uh, voting system we've got is the alternative vote plus, which is an alternative voting system where candidates are ranked numerically in order of preference. Um, but then the plus part comes from the fact that um, there's an additional group of members who would be elected through regional party lists to ensure a degree of proportionality um, in the results. So kind of similar to the additional member system. Uh, and then, of course, there's the, the choice for other as well. Um, but before you guys get voting away on this, George, which of those voting systems or other sounds the best? Well, it's a it's a very rare thing for me to be a, a conservative and think that our current voting system isn't doing well enough because obviously the current voting system would pretty much it's a fifty fifty I suppose you could argue of it either as you say Callum either it being Labour or Conservative so it favours um, the Conservatives rather nicely and a lot of Conservatives if you ask them especially MPs would say no let's just keep the current voting system we don't need to change it but I am a Democrat and I believe in, in democracy and I think that Every party has the right to stand, no matter what their views are. Um, And I think that people should be represented as much as they possibly can. Um, I I think that currently the first past the post system, as effective as it may be in, in ensuring that the person that gets the most votes is elected at the same time, if someone doesn't have over 50 percent of the vote, then. You could argue how then can they represent the whole of their uh, constituency when they haven't even got half the votes. Um, That's definitely where I find very big problem with first past the post and the fact that smaller parties like Lib Dem, um, you could even argue the Brexit Party, the Green Party and parties such as that 
don't even stand um, a chance in really and truly getting elected in uh, seats such as really safe either conservative or labor seats um and it's very hard to kind of swing that vote around so i think for me looking at this list and looking at how it is best to to get representation of everyone in parliament i think the single transferable vote is probably the best system that you can go for um i i believe and Callum, I'm sure, will correct me. Um, I believe it's a very similar system to what happens when we have the European elections or did have the European elections in terms that you would obviously you go into a voting booth and you vote for the party that you want. And then from that, whoever gets the most votes, they then allocate how many seats they should have given the region. Um, and and I think that that's actually quite a interesting and good way to go about things, because it's still if we look at the European elections, the last ones, we still saw a clear winner of the Brexit party. But it allowed um, <clears throat> those that didn't want to vote for the Brexit party and voted for parties like the Lib Dem that wanted to stop Brexit. They still had. Um, representation and I think it was one of their best ever elections actually the, the European elections for the Lib Dems and, and it is partially as well because of the voting system that is in place so for me as much as I do like having a conservative majority government and I believe in a conservatives running the country representation is very important for me and I think that we have to ensure that people feel as if they can be represented in parliament because at the end of the day MPs are put there to um, represent their communities and if they haven't received not even half the uh, vote how can you argue that's fair so for me definitely single transferable vote um, would get my vote ha see the pun there um callum what about you um i so i think for me i quite like the additional member system um the, the reason being um, that you still have one vote for uh, a constituency MP, so for your for your local constituency, um, so it still kind of retains that constituency link there. Um, but then you also get the opportunity to to vote in a in a bigger region um, for for, um, for a, a particular party, um, and then um, seats in that region are allocated more proportionally to, um, with a view to what the constituencies. Are already showing and already representing so that overall um, it represents the country reasonably proportionally. I don't know what it is but for me that seems like the best kind of system. I do quite like the, um, the single transferable vote as you say George um, because of the fact that you know you get to um, rank candidates and, and there, there is definitely a certain fairness to it. I think alternative vote plus is Although I said it's similar to the additional member system, I don't think it's as good as what the additional member system is. Um, and so I, I hesitate to say that that would be a good system. I mean, they, we actually did have a, a referendum on, on AV Plus um, back in 2011 or 2012, I believe. Um, so back during the coalition, that was one of the prices of coalition. Um, but George, just kind of taking us a little bit away from from voting systems obviously at the moment the the liberal democrats have got a, a, a um a leadership election going on at the moment and one of the things that uh, i've been recently reading paddy ashdown their former leader's autobiography and one of the things he said that when he was leader was that if he was to have a coalition the price of it would be 
there had to be a more proportional voting system put in place and it wouldn't be subject to a referendum it would just happen it would be part of the coalition agreement mm. do you think that in the nick clegg and the liberal democrats should have done that um as part of their negotiations for the uh, 2010 to 2015 coalition and do you think that would have changed how we see the liberal democrats um <clears throat> i don't i actually think that it was it's right to have a referendum on decisions like this because if the people feel as if they <clears throat> they're not being represented then that gives them the opportunity to um change that way whereas if they are given the obviously given the choice and, and they actually feel as if they are comfortable with the current voting system then they will vote that way as well and, and i think it's important they get that choice um so i i i think actually nick clegg was right not to have it as one of the um rules in in whether he would go into coalition with cameron or not um and obviously if if it was then i i, I think that the lib dems would have been viewed differently and obviously if if a different voting system was in place, then these general elections would have been looked very differently um, in in terms of how many seats every party has, actually. Um, and we would have been in a very different situation, I, I, I think, especially regarding Brexit, um, if that was the case. Uh, what 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 do you think, though, Callum? Uh, yeah, I, I personally think that, that they should have um, said that the price of a coalition was putting in place a, a more proportional voting system um, just because um, pure, it's purely probably from a selfish point of view for the Liberal Democrats that it historically seems to happen across borders, really, that the junior partner in a coalition does tend to get punished um, mm. after that coalition ends. And obviously, we definitely saw that um, with what happened um, to the Liberal Democrats after the coalition. And it would have been a, a kind of safety measure to to stop that decimation being quite as pronounced as as what it was and i I do think obviously for the other reasons in terms of we've talked about that they are generally a fairer system um and obviously i think one other thing that we have to say about first past the post that a lot of people say the one of the problems with other voting systems is that first past the post produces stable government because it's normally a majority for for one party well actually in the past few years we've seen that it's it's much more common nowadays it seems to be to have a, a coalition government or to have a hung parliament and things like that so it doesn't necessarily produce the stability um that it's meant to do first past the post mm. uh, how do you think this poll's going to go i <sighs> I think it's going to go uh, single transferable vote, but very closely followed by first past the post. How about you? Yeah, I think, to be honest, George, you might well be right there. But we shall see. It's time for you guys to vote away on that question. What should be the UK's general election voting system? Uh, you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk, force us to listen. And those options again are first past the post, the additional member system, single transferable vote, alternative vote plus or that famous voting system of other. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked what should be the UK's general election voting system. And to find our results to that poll, 
head over to our Twitter post, that's at WizRadio. Right, okay, so let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening, and as I always say, the most important one. So, do you wish you did more for charity? So, if I look back um, over my time of being alive, um, I look at what I have done for charity. Quite a few years ago, I did a little event. It was called a charity football match where I raised money and awareness for Diabetes UK, a charity that is obviously very close to my heart. And since then, I've done um, the I, can't, I think it was like the two mile or something swim where um, my sister and I swam lengths and we raised money that way. And I've done little odds and sods as well for Diabetes UK. But do you ever sit there and think to yourself, oh, I wish I did more to raise money and awareness, because I think that's important for charities that are close to your heart? And um, do you wish that you actually got involved more as well? Because it's very often people with um, like comic relief and Red Nose Day might put a pound in the pot or text five pounds when it comes on TV. But you're not necessarily getting fully involved. So the question is, and Obviously, before I ask our lovely listeners, I have to ask um, Grumpy Gurr. Uh, see what I did there. And uh, Gurr, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Do you wish you did more for charity? I know you do a lot already, but do you wish you did more? Do I? <laughs> well, you do a lot of runs, don't you? I do. That is true. That is true. Uh, well, a reasonable amount, anyway. Um, <laughs> more I, than I me. Think, I think I do, I do wish I did more for charity. Um as you say, I do do some fun runs every now and then. Um, but um, in a way, I, I wish I'd done something that's a bit more understated in many ways. I've, I've always wanted to um, go and help our homeless shelter or, or something like that um, and to kind of do much more of the nitty gritty um, help, which obviously I'm not I'm downplaying the value of fundraising, but sometimes it's really good to just know that you're doing something that's actually actively going to help someone, whereas sometimes because of the way in which fundraising works, it's very faceless. And you, you just send off your money and you never really know what it's spent on. Um, so, so I guess on that side of it, I do wish I'd done more, um, more charity work. Um, I mean, what about you, George? Yeah, I think I think you've actually said something really important when um, I suppose you think of the question, do you wish you did more for charity? It's very easy to think, oh, raising money is, is the is the thing to do. But it's actually also about getting involved in in those charities and, and seeing where they need volunteers and everything like that. And uh, in, in terms of that, I absolutely do wish I did more. I think there are so many causes out there that, that need volunteers and and could do with the help that is out there um so i i would love to be able to go in and help in a homeless shelter or um go and sit and listen to to certain people i mean when i was at university um uh, we were encouraged to join something called victim support um which is a it kind of says it in the title is where people that have been victims of certain crimes get to ring you um and just talk about things and you're literally just on the end of a phone um they get your mobile number or get a telephone number that then connects you connects them to your mobile phone and you just get to sit and chat to people and that is one of the the, the best things um and it's very rewarding as well being able to talk people through situations and just being a sounding wall for for someone and, and understanding why they are how they are and, and giving them some advice and, and just a point of direction it's, it is a very rewarding and 
absolutely challenging thing to do. But yeah, I think that it's it is so important that we get out there and do more for charity. Callum, do do you think when we look at doing things for charity, do you think unfortunately we look past the smaller charities because the big charities are always being advertised? Um, I think in the past that was more of a problem. I think actually that's one of a, one of the benefits of social media um, and the the way in which society is nowadays. I think we're much more always looking for the independent charity and and things like that. And it's much easier for these smaller charities to have a voice and to have a platform um, thanks to social media. So I, I actually think that. Oh yes, of course the the limelight is always going to be on these bigger charities, but I think that the smaller charities do get a fair bit of focus now. Although of course there's always always more um, that can be done. What about you, George? Yeah, I, I think you're you're so right in saying that we um, are now in a at a position to to find more local and independent charities um and social media is a fantastic thing uh for that to happen and when i if or when i look to to raise money i definitely do see if there are more localized charities that i can help out but callum how do you think this polls are going to go um i think that uh yeah most people are going to say of course they want to do more for charity Uh, i'm going to say 75 percent again what about you I'm going to say 85% again. (laughs) So, uh, as always, there's only one way to find out. And that is for you guys to vote on this question. Do you wish you did more for charity? And you could vote on this at wizardbrain.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this break. Hello and welcome back. So for that break, we asked the question, do you wish you did more for charity? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. So unfortunately, the hour is up. I don't know where it's gone. It's gone incredibly quickly. Um, but thanks for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gert. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your questions, actually, for George and I to answer. You can send in those questions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizardradio. So remember to send in your questions for George and I to answer, and we're really looking forward to hearing those next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gerr. That was a beautiful way you said questions, Callum, by the way. Um, (laughs) And I've been George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.